Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I know a lot about how much curry is too much curry. But I don't know a lot about the Great Lakes, and that is the point of this year's show. We are live from the International Association Woo! for Great Lakes Research Conference. Woo! Woo! This is very, very exciting to be here. And we are at the Amsterdam Brew House on the lake, and we are overlooking, um, what, what is this? Is this the harbor? What harbor? The Toronto Harbor. We're overlooking the Toronto Harbor in beautiful T- Toronto, Ontario, Canada, which might be my favorite city in the world. It's been very fun. It's been really great in the T dot O dot, as I like to call it. And uh, we're excited to learn. So, so uh, we're at the International Association. We're at Niagara, right? Um, where we like to broadcast live. We've many years uh, broadcast the award. We've broadcasted with the award winners. We've done live from bars, and here we are at the Amsterdam Brew House, and it's super fun. But since we have a guest here, and she came all the way from Windsor, we're just going to get going right now. Now, I believe Katie that you are a researcher. Is that right? That's what I thought. That means it's time for the researcher feature theme song. Researcher feature, a feature in which a researcher gonna teach us about the Great Lakes. Before I introduce our guest today, I just realized I failed to introduce all the co-hosts. Okay. I got so fired up. <laughs> so Katie Stamler, we will introduce her to first. Who's with me? It's Megan. Gone. Hi, Megan. everybody. Wonderful to have you here in person. Thank you. And hearing us this year for the first time. Must be a live podcast because it's Hope Charters. Thank you for the headphones. We got headphones this time. So every time we do this normally, we have no headphones. And we're in a quote, as Eddie Verhaney puts it, noisy pub. And uh, that's fine. We like being in a noisy pub. It might be our natural habitat, um, <laughs> unlike midges. And, 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 but nobody can hear anything. But this time we're outside. We're at the beautiful uh, Amsterdam brew house by the lake. We're outside. And we bought headphones so everybody can hear. And so that's good. Anyway. Our guest today is Dr. Katie Stamler. In addition to being a researcher, she's a water quality scientist and source water protection project manager at Essex Region Conservation Authority, or IRCA, as I like to call it. That's right. Katie, how are you? That is a mouthful. I have multiple job titles. You have multiple job titles. That's fine. That's (laughs) why. Have you seen my... I got a paragraph. I got a paragraph right here. So, Katie, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Conference going good so far? Conference is great. We had an awesome session today. Very good. Excellent. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to talk about your session. But first, let's do a little backstory. Um, What is a water quality scientist? (laughs) That'd be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so my job at the Conservation Authority is that I oversee all of our research and monitoring projects that happen in the Essex region. So we do a ton of monitoring in the inland tributaries. Uh, most of what we're looking for is phosphorus and uh, what our inputs are into the Great Lakes. So we do some specific research projects and some is just background monitoring. Um, we also do partnerships with other universities where we do um, research where maybe we'll take extra samples for people. So source water protection is um, we implement the Clean Water Act, which is a piece of legislation that protects our sources of drinking water. So we write policies and implement those policies um, to protect our drinking water. And then I'm also adjunct at the University of Windsor, so I work with graduate students on current research projects. Awesome. What type of current research projects do you all have going on right now? 
So I have uh, one graduate student um, with Mike McKay, Emily Varga. She just did her comprehensive exam. It was my very first time as an examiner on the other side of the table, which was terrifying <laughs> for me. Um, and she's doing research looking at the continuum from the Thames River through to Lake St. Clair, looking at cyanoblooms and what the you know how that stuff works. We've also got graduate students looking at plant uh, biota in ditches and folks looking at different kinds of like EPT phosphorus and things so it's yeah it's exciting so I heard I went to a lot of the poster sessions today and a lot of them were talking about the Thames River could you talk a little bit more about that and why it's so important in this region is this a Canadian Thames River yeah well I don't know yeah it's a Canadian (laughs) so so Canada has a lot of um the names of our towns and our rivers are often from the UK that makes sense yeah because they like to control everything we used to like to control everything. <laughs> yeah, and we are still technically a col- like we're we still have, we're still part of the Commonwealth and right. So the Thames River um, is a Canadian river, and the headwaters are up um, north and west of London, Ontario, and it's a really big watershed that flows through London down through Chatham, and then it flows out into Lake Saint Clair. So it's one of our bigger watersheds. It is one of the priority watersheds in the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. So there's, there are two Canadian watersheds that are part of Annex 4's commitments to phosphorus reduction. One is the Thames River and one is the Leamington Tributaries. The Leamington Tributaries are in my neck of the woods, and I'm famously quoted somewhere as saying uh, the Leamington Tributaries are a blob on a map. A blob on a map. <laughs> blob on a map. Right, because they, they just said the Leamington Tributaries. And, like, there are several, because Essex Region has multiple hydrologically distinct watersheds. So the Leamington Tributaries is actually like eight watersheds. That's all. So the Thames is one of the identified priority watersheds for the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement for the phosphorus reduction. So that's why you see a lot of stuff on the Thames River. Yeah, I noticed that. So where does the phosphorus come from? This actually gets into one. Well, let me ask that, and then that gets into some of my bigger questions related to HAB stuff. So yeah, where does that phosphorus, is it ag here in Canada, or is it yeah, so so like a long time ago, right? I mean, we tackled the point sources and we we got after all the point sources. So now what's left is the non-point sources, right? So there's a ton of agriculture in southwestern Ontario. It's mostly row crop agriculture. In the the headwaters of the Thames, you'll get more into livestock. You've got a little bit more of a rolling topography there, so it's better for livestock. As you head south, uh, like towards Detroit, so like through Chatham Kent and through Essex. You don't see livestock there because we have this very, very flat landscape with heavy clay soils, very productive soils, very good for row crop agriculture. So it's um, it's a lot of non-point source runoff uh, that's really, really hard to control. All right, so now I have more questions, actually, because yeah. we were driving here. So we drove from West Lafayette. It was me and the three kids and my wife, and I rode on the roof because, Yeah, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One has to. And, and so we're driving through, and all the fields are, like, really green. Why are they so green? Is this a cover crop thing? Or it didn't look like it's too early for corn. And I'm not used to seeing a, a field that is not laden with corn unless it's laden with soybeans. Yeah. This was laden with neither. So what, what is the ag that's going on? Okay, so I'm a city girl. Like, I grew up in the city. But I've spent my entire career working in agricultural systems. And I finally, after 20 years of working in my career, feel comfortable talking about agriculture. Okay. What's growing is winter wheat. Winter wheat. Yeah. So wheat winter wheat. 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 Winter winter wheat. There were a lot of cannabis shops in Toronto. Yeah, I, that's why I was wondering. And I was like, oh, do they have seasonal? Is that a seasonal no, thing? No, that's, gr- that's grown in greenhouses. Greenhouses. Yeah. So the, the winter wheat is planted in the fall, and then it overwinters, and then it takes off in the spring. So 
in the U.S., what I've learned is that you guys do a corn-soy rotation, and you don't, you don't really put wheat into your rotation, where in Canada we do corn-soy-wheat. And then after wheat, you can do cover crop. So you might have also seen, did you see yellow flowers I anywhere? I see yellow flowers. Canola. Canola. Yes. Grapeseed. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Is yes. that where the oil comes from? Is yeah. It, so they're growing oil. You see, we yeah. got a different kind of oil. But, yeah. uh, oh, interesting. And it's just taking off. The canola is just starting to take off, and people are, like, experimenting with it. And, like, yeah, we can plant canola. It grows over the winter. It takes off in the spring. You harvest it early, you can double crop soybeans after that, so you can get four crops in your rotation. Amazing. I have no idea what you just said, but it sounded really good. Like that, that crop math. It, I know, it's incredible. Yeah, slay. Yeah, t- took me 20, took me 20 years. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no idea what's happening. Fantastic. Well, let's see. So, so, it's, a, but it's, so it's, it's agricultural inputs, I think. Yeah. But, but now, because part of the reason for that is because the point sources are, are reduced. But so as the point sources were reduced, is the overall amount of uh, nutrients in the water also reduced? And now they're just stamping out the last little bit, or is the overall amount still increasing? No. So there's, okay, I, I like to say that if I could solve the problem of why there's harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie, I would get a Nobel Prize. The, the Habs Collaborative session today was really amazing and really touched on the complexity of the issue and started to step away from just phosphorus as the main driver of, of harmful algal blooms talking about food web ecology and talking about degradation of microcystin, which is the toxin produced during a harmful algal bloom. Um, So lots of really exciting, cool things going on. If you look at the total load in Lake Erie, we were to reduce it to 11 million metric tons or whatever it was uh, in the 70s. We did that, and we've stayed at that level. So it's not like there's more phosphorus. But they're changing the, um, what's changing is the form of phosphorus. So they're finding like more soluble reactive phosphorus than total phosphorus. And soluble phosphorus is more bioavailable for algae, so it's better for them to grow. So then we look at, well, how and why is that happening? And what are the difference in the ratios and this sort of thing? Um, And agriculture, again, is very different in Ohio than it is in Ontario. We both have heavy clay soils, but there's something different about the soils in, o- in Ohio that we went to no-till, and that actually caused cracks in the soil. So now the fertilizer that gets put, put down goes straight through those cracks and into your tile drains and out as soluble phosphorus. We don't have the same thing happening here. We don't, we don't see that same crack in the soil, so we don't have those same increases in soluble phosphorus that you're seeing in Ohio. So the, the drivers are very, very different in these different soil types, different agriculture uh, so it's super complex as to how we get around reducing the phosphorus. So it sounds like it, it is mostly ag that you're looking at as the cause. It's sorry, I I never ever want anybody to leave anything with a like pointing a finger and saying ag is the reason that we have harmful algal blooms. So the, there's a lot of things going on. We got climate change happening. So the the lake is warmer. We know that cyanobacteria like it warmer. It used to be a diatom bloom that was happening in the 70s. The diatoms now bloom early in the season, and then they sink, and the microcystin rise, and they prefer the warmer temperatures. So you've got warmer temperatures going on. You've got a whole bunch of different things happening. What I like to say to people is, you know, we, we reached that target of phosphorus, and we did a good job, and we controlled it, and then something changed in the lake, and the lake now can't handle that level of phosphorus. So we have to lower the phosphorus even further because the lake can't take it. Do we have any idea of what caused that change in the lake? Again, I would get a Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. But let me push back because this isn't the easy answer. Now, I, I applaud this nuanced view, right, because I feel like some people don't have a super nuanced view of this. But isn't the easy answer just ag? I mean, this is where all the, the stuff is coming from, right? 
No, that's not the, it's not an easy answer. It really isn't. It's really, you know, I mean, these guys are growing our food and they're, they're typically using the best available science, yeah. right? So it's not, you know, farmers don't go out and like pour phosphorus on their, their fields, right? That costs them money. So, um, you know, and, and we all want to eat. And in, in Ohio, you have um, the input of, from the CAFOs, your confined animal feed operations. Those are a big deal in Ohio, right? And you're, you're dealing with like a waste management issue at that point. Right. But it's also it's a very beef centric culture. So you like you want to eat beef, you're going to. Yeah, you're going to you're going to have more cattle. Right. We and we have less livestock over here um, just by the nature of it. So I never like to point my finger and say agriculture is the reason that that's, that something is happening. Appreciate that. Yeah. So let's talk about have sort of generally. So. So, so these make algal blooms happen, right? And 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 we talked about this a little little bit with other people, but the secret, and it's not actually secret because it's all I talk about, is that I have a lot of trouble paying attention during the show because I have to do all this stuff yeah, and yeah, I have no I, idea I what's happening. Yeah. And so people say things and then I forget what they've said. Um, and so I ask the same like six or eight questions over and over again. So we get the algae, they bloom up. And so one thing I know is it stinks, right? Like I've been to uh, the um, Grand Lake St. Mary's in Ohio and uh, I, I have an uncle-in-law who has a house there and you do the jet skiing, but you want to be in the front of the jet ski and not behind anybody, or else you're getting the water to the face. And that's not cool because it stinks and it's full of algae and, and stuff. So it causes a stink. What are some of the other effects of, of HABs? Like we hear they're bad, but what, what, what's the big deal? Is there a big ecological deal or is it just kind of, it's uncomfortable for a while and then it goes away? Wait, why are you jet skiing when there's a HAB? Aren't you supposed to stay out of the water? You go, no? to the, uh, you go to the lake house when you go to the lake house. The jet skis are there, so your options are to not jet ski. Or the options are to ride in the front of the jet ski. <laughs> Those are your choices. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I choose option two. I mean, yeah. I like to like I choose I the option that lets me jet ski. <laughs> I go like sixty-five. That's really fun. Anyway, I'm sorry. Okay. General rule of thumb: if the water is green, like don't jet ski. It's mm. what, whatever. If the water is green, keep it clean. There's there is some like newer research that people are looking into the human health effects. If you uh, tune in to tomorrow night, Wednesday night at Iagler, they're screening the eerie situation and there'll be, there's people that are in that film that talk about their health effects living in small towns in Ohio uh, from the aerosols. Uh, people get breathing issues. You can get a skin rash if you go into the water. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know yet about, about that. So we know if you're jet skiing, you're aerosolizing the toxin. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of different stuff going on there. We look at um, microsystem, which is the toxin produced. We look at that in our sources of drinking water because our drinking water operators need to change their operating systems during a harmful algal bloom in order to filter that stuff out. We did have a previous episode with the director of... Theory situation. Um, theory yeah, situation. So I'm oh, yeah. I don't remember yeah. what episode number David, it is. David Ruck. If you're interested in learning more about uh, 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 the Erie situation and David Ruck's um, views on what's causing HABs in Lake Erie, which lead to hypoxia often, not always, but often can, uh, you should go to Teach Me About the Great Lakes. I'll put it in the show notes. I don't remember the episode number. It was about, it was a, like December, January, something like that. So about, about eight or ten episodes ago. Uh, and listen to that conversation with David and also with Hall of Famer Stephanie Gondula of the uh, Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, Hall of Fame guest. So yeah, so you've been talking a lot about this HAB collaborative, right? Now, first question about this is, have you ever thought about calling it the collaborative? Like you should, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, so Dad I'm jokes. just tossing that out there, right? Yeah, it should be the collaborative. collaborative. Um, you can have that one, you can have that yeah. one. But uh, so what is this? This is something that the Great Lakes Commission de Grand Locks 
Erlaxgran. Anyway, uh, so what is the collaborative? So it actually used to be called the Collaboratory. Collaboratory? Yeah, and then they changed to the Collaborative, but I'm going to suggest Collab. Collab. Yeah, we just had a happy hour also. A happy hour? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. so you're into this. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so the Habs Collaborative. I might be. Yeah. <laughs> the Habs Collaborative is um, exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, a bunch of people that do research, our managers, um, you know, people that just work on Lake Erie, on Habs in general, because, uh, you know, there's some folks that look at inland um, harmful algal blooms that happen in Michigan. There's inland blooms that happen in Ontario um, and just kind of get together and share our information about what's going on. And one of the things that we've done for several years is that we host a session at Iagler and it's always a very, very well attended session. It's like a day and a half of, of Iagler this year. Um, and so it's something, you know, we're like the bringer togetherers yeah. of, of Habs researchers. And like the room is packed too. Yeah, like, I tried to go packed. in yesterday and I could not because I was like, no, this is too many for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just an unbelievable amount of people. And it's, and I think a lot of people don't, don't necessarily realize that it's us that's bringing them all together. So we're trying to, to make sure that people know about the Habs collaborative. So check us out. We have, um, a, a, a research mapper. That's, a research mapper. Yeah, a research mapper that's live. And What's what his name? It's called the ha- oh, oh. the Habs Collaborative Research Mapper, I think. <laughs> You're going to work on your names? All right, look, I don't, I don't let's name, talk. No, it's fine. I don't Up here, my rate is very reasonable. We yeah. will get you better names than this. It's yeah. fine. The work is good. The names, yeah. work in progress. No big deal. No big you deal. You focus on that. Talk to me for the other. We'll be good. Sounds okay. good. So it's a, it's a place for, you know, if you do Habs-related research, find the research mapper and it's super easy to use you go in and you enter in like a description about the research you're doing and what it allows us to do is like you then can find somebody that does research similar to yours and maybe you can collaborate and maybe you're going out on a boat and maybe you can take a sample for somebody else so it's a good you know a good way to bring people together cool so it's really putting stuff together to get research on kind of on more of a shoestring yeah that's really neat so do you find, what is the advantage? I think about this all the time, and sometimes I worry that we sit around and just talk about things and never do anything um, as scientists because it's fun to sit around and talk, especially because there's usually, you know, happy hours and whatever. And, and, and so what do y'all do to try to, so that's one thing you're doing to sort of take action. Are there other things that you're doing as a, as a result? Yeah, we put out, uh, we put out um, what do I want to say, like fact sheets, right? So this, like the human health work. Uh, that's some fact sheets that we've been putting out. So we've been trying to work with the, the researchers that are doing this latest research about human health effects of harmful algal blooms, putting those together, getting that information out. Um, Nicole Zakarta, who is sort of leads the charge of the whole thing, she is a policy person, and she is the person that is going to those policy meetings. So she's got the ear of the policymakers, and she can go to them and say, this is, this is the research that I just heard about. And she can translate into that into policy speak. Oh, what a skill that is, right? Yeah, big yep. big skill. Yeah. So it's nice that you're getting to the policymakers and you're also getting to the scientists. Do you feel like when the scientists get all this information to you, they're able to collaborate together more effectively to come up with solutions to propose to the legislators? I find that the researchers that work in harmful algal blooms are some of the most collaborative people that I have ever met. I yeah, and it's it's a like. It is one of my favorite things, and I, you know, I, I think I'm still the only Canadian on this patio. And I will tell you that during the pandemic, I spent more time in my basement on my Zoom camera with my American colleagues than I spent with the people that work in the same office as me. Really? Yeah. And just, you know, 
doing that collaborative research and and talking to each other about the work that happens and everybody is about sharing and everybody is about how do we solve this really wicked problem right so i i find it's just a really cool bunch of people what a that cool like way to, to spend your pandemic time too you know, I know what it was I did? awesome yeah you know what i did during your pandemic made a million sound bites <laughs> a lot of that kind of nonsense that's fine i guess i could have been collaborating with scientists to further policy that would have worked too productivity it hadn't occurred to me at the time yeah uh to do that so that's fantastic so oh wait i'm going through the list here and so so first of all yes only canadian on the patio we want to give a shout out to our great friend carolyn foley who could not be here um she's on assignment and uh, um, but we, she's the best Canadian. She is the sorry. best Canadian. I what? Said, I'm sorry. sorry You're second best. Carolyn and I know each other from way back, and we are equally awesome Canadians. Okay, okay. I've met I've met eight Canadians, which is a chunk of the population, and you two are the <laughs> you two are the the best, and so that is fantastic. But so here, I was talking to sources. I won't say who it was, but key place sources said that there's this thought lately that yes, phosphorus from ag or from changes to the lake or from whatever is a significant deal with regards to um, Habs. But now there's this idea that maybe nitrogen is part of it too. Uh, what's the deal with that? What's the deal with nitrogen and Habs? Do we have to worry about nitrogen also? Yeah, so I'm not going to talk like a ton about it because there, like, there's a lot of different ideas and things out there and um, conversation happening. So what we know about phosphorus, and we know this from David Schindler's work like from the, from the 60s, right? from the experimental lakes research, saying phosphorus is the limiting agent for algal growth. We know that phosphorus determines how much algae grows. So limiting agent grows. means like if the, the, the amount of phosphorus, like you have plenty of the other stuff, yeah. but the amount of phosphorus you have will therefore determine how much you have. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, so it determines like how much, like what the biomass that you have of something. The nitrogen, what, uh, what we're postulating is that the nitrogen has an, has, um, an effect on the toxicity because nitrogen is a key component in the toxin that the, the toxicity of it to like the local wildlife or fish. So, or? The, so the the algae, which are the the uh, so cyan- humans cyanobac- who are choosing to um, <laughs> jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah. So cyanobacteria. Okay. So cyanobacteria called microcystis. They're the things that are blooming. Okay. So they need phosphorus as food in order to get bigger. The nitrogen that they take in as food, they use that nitrogen to make toxin inside their cells why would they do that that's just what they do that's what they that's part of what they do <laughs> so, so the more so the more nitrogen they have the more toxins they can produce correct that that is that is one of the the, cur- the current going theories right so they have their tricky their nitrogen which they need in order to make the toxin the toxin is inside their cells the toxin gets released into the environment when the cell dies so when the cell wall breaks, that's when the toxin gets released. Okay. So if you have more nitrogen, you potentially have a more toxic bloom. So that's what the research is looking at right now is looking at like the N to P ratio. And does it matter how much phosphorus, how much nitrogen? Is that going to have an impact on the size of the bloom, how toxic it is? Do we want a small toxic bloom? Do we want a big, less toxic bloom? Tons of unknowns. Yeah. Lots of conversation just getting going yeah, on the no, nitrogen this is side. New, right? so this it's is, not yeah. super new. So Sylvia Newell has been talking about nitrogen for years. Yeah. So so there's been like, you know, it's like anything else, right? Like I've been talking about how there's harmful algal blooms in Lake St. Clair for a long time. Yeah. But I'm like one Certainly. person that's been telling people there's harmful algal blooms in Lake St. Clair. Right. Until the there's... Aaron Brockovich of Lake St. Clair. Yeah. Until there's like critical mass of other people saying it, right? So it's the same thing. We've kind of got to critical mass of nitrogen where there's been like a couple of people that are like, hey, don't you guys should probably be talking about nitrogen. And they've just been like waving their hands in the background. 
And now more people are like, oh, you guys were probably right, and we should probably be looking at nitrogen. So that's why I've been shouting this for so many years, even (laughs) though people weren't listening. It's important. And there was a there's a recent paper in Science, which is why the conversation has really come. So that's yeah. yeah, So So what you're saying is science communication, especially to large populations, is very important. Science Science communication is super important. Science communication and nature communication. Yeah, we're hearing this in our department in our university more and more. Yeah, we are very aware of the value of science communication. Um, and nature communication vis-a-vis, you know, working with individuals. But that's a conversation for a different time. What got you into all of this? Did you grow up on Lake Ontario? Did you, like, what sparked that interest in nature? I mean, I've always been interested in nature. So I I grew up in in Windsor, definitely a city kid. And it was, um, you know, I decided to go into biology partially because biology is hard. Because biology is, like, it's systems, right? And, And, you know, I like to think, like, linearly but when you get into biology you got to start thinking about weird interconnections so I found it challenging which is why I decided like that's the thing for me because I want to do something hard Um, and then I did my undergraduate degree with Linda Corkum looking at round gobies that led into co-op programs with conservation authorities my master's degree flew flow flowed flowed Flied. Flied? Midged. Midged. Well, it midged. It midged directly from my, co- my co-op. And then my, my PhD research was sort of born out of my master's research. And I worked in agricultural systems that whole time. And then when uh, there was a postdoc opportunity that came up that was also in agricultural systems, but looking at phosphorus, where previously all of my work was on benthic invertebrates, which is why I love midges, and also uh, fish, right? So I was like a fish and bug person. And my postdoc is where I got into nutrients. So I'm definitely... Specifically like, a fish boy. Is that what you called yourself earlier? No, fish bro. Fish bro. It's the fisheries bros. The fisheries bros. I'm not a fish bro, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so my postdoc is really where I kind of landed into talking about phosphorus and harmful algal blooms. Which is, you know, it's interesting, right? Because we go down these tra- these paths of our graduate work and you get really into your graduate research and you're, you know, you're an expert in your topic. And then you get beyond that and you start going, okay, the whole thing of having these graduate degrees is learning how to learn. Right? So, so how can you then take that ability to learn and, and put it into something else? So now I talk about phosphorus all day, every day. <laughs> so normally during our live shows, we, we do fun and games and silliness. Uh, we didn't necessarily plan this one as well off as we did because one of our planners was on assignment. But so, but but I love fun. I love games. So I want you to think. I want you to think of a little factoid about Habs. So I want you to come with a little factoid for our friends out in the audience, and then we're going to play the Great Lakes factoid theme song. You want me to come up with a factoid? Do you have a factoid? Oh gosh. And you have Tell me about the extent of Habs. You just gave us a million factoids. Tell us about, about a ran- around Gobi factoid. Wait oh. a minute. You know about Gobies? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> you weren't all right. paying attention. You said all this. No, I wasn't paying attention. I can't pay attention. It is not feasible to pay attention. Katie, in case I you don't know, Stuart has created a Gobi dog. No, no. So which here's is the basically deal. a no, hot no, dog, stop, but with stop. a Gobi. All right, I have a question. So you're not She doesn't Chicago. know. Well, I'm getting to this, Hope. Okay, just interrupt me, too. <laughs> well, <you have> I'm <laughs> trying to attract investors. You're not giving my pitch. This is possibly the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, so gobies, here's the deal. They're an invasive, yeah, yeah, no yeah. good round gobies. Yeah. You can see, actually, these all too clear people, they have videos of round gobies. It's really cool. Yeah. All right. Um, hey, hey. And, what? The fish girls are 
fishbones are all, they are going and they're like, well, oh, wait a minute. Fish round round movies are amazing. This is their signal. And, uh, and so, um, so anyway, so round gobies, are, they're very bad. But here's, and they're invasive. But here's the thing. They're shaped kind of like tubular, yeah. right? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, You know what else is tubular? I mean, other than like Ninja Turtles, I guess. Um, uh, uh, a hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. So the deal is, is that my here's my thing when cigarette doesn't work Shut up, out. Titus, don't laugh at him. <laughs> when, when I I'm gonna open up a Gobi Dog stand, okay. like in Chicago, and you're yeah. gonna put the little the pickles, the okay. what's the the and the hot dogs are the gonna relish, be... the celery, tomato, yeah, mustard, no ketchup. Sorry, are, are the hot dogs gonna be made yeah. of round gobies? No, it's just gonna be round gobi. It's just gonna be... in a hot dog bun. In a hot dog bun. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. No, the thing is, in Europe, in Europe, this is what I've been told. In Europe, they're huge. Who told me this? Was it Jan- no one Sibirowski? It was um, oh gosh, Thomas. Who's that guy at uh, Milwaukee? Oh, Jansen. Jansen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jan- John Jansen. Oh yeah, I asked him how many gobies it would take to how many goby dogs I'd have to sell. <laughs> Turns out a lot. Um, but uh, but but yeah, he told me they're huge in Eastern Europe. So okay. so well, that's I mean, where we could from. start in Eastern Europe, but the, Chicago's got a Polish population. Poland is maybe in Eastern Europe. I don't know. I'm American. Yeah, I'm we'll have geography. a really good hot dog yeah. type of Yeah, so, venue. so okay. So, no, I'm very interested in gobies because I'm a future goby professional. Got it, got and it, And so, got um, it. yeah, so, so uh, t- what do you know about gobies? Well, so it was my, my undergraduate research was on really? round gobies. I did yeah. four years ago, gobies. So that means anything. It was, like, yeah, it was I mean, only four years ago. Was, no, it's yeah, no, no, like, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter. It's like it, 20s. I have a talent for asking people if they know anything about something they're an expert in, and I have no idea. Um, so that's good. So yeah. gobies. All right. So what are we going to do about these gobies? So other than okay, it's been a long time since. So I'm not up on like the latest research on round gobies, <laughs> right? So but like I did like nesting studies. Yeah. So looking at like you I nest with goby. Yes. Okay. I made net and like like you you have like a resident goby and then you drop in a you know an invading goby like an RA goby. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're sure like. <laughs> And you're like, oh, which one of you gets to take the nest? And, like, is it bigger gobies or resident gobies or oh, whatever? Oh, wait. No, no. So they compete for so They nest? compete for nest space. So yeah. they, they, they don't make their nest. It's not like grouper or salmon. Oh, no. They, like, they use, like, I mean, we made them nest this is, for them. This is the redding symbol. For those of you not there, I'm yeah. waving my hand back and forth as if it contains a muskie. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been flailing about the whole time. <laughs> we we made them little like nest structures, but like they use like cavities and okay. things, right? And they have their eggs up on the ceiling that they fan and whatever. Uh, but we wanted to like who gets to stay in yeah. there, right? And it's like big residents get to stay in their nest. If you have a small resident, they gotta they're just go. gonna leave the nest and let somebody else take the space. So it's kind of like when snails trade shells. Yeah. What? The biggest one Wait, yeah. snails gets shells? to take the best shell. Oh, no, there it is. Hold on, Hope. Let's start that over. Let's do this right. I had no idea. It's a Great Lakes factoid. <laughs> a Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Hope. <sighs> what? What does that do? <laughs> snails trade shells. Really? I think they're snails, right? Yeah. Or are they a different, is there a different like, species? Like, is there snail eBay? They all, like, take up. No, they get, in the, they get in the line from smallest to biggest. They all <laughs> take off their shells. Maybe they're hermit crabs. I don't hermit know. Crab, or whatever. Yeah. Well, sure I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to do it again, and then you're going to say maybe they're hermit crabs. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Maybe they're hermit crabs. That's the factoid. But maybe they're hermit crabs. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? Let's just abandon this line of questioning. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. Actually, so I will tell you the truth. Okay. 
Katie. It has been really fun having you on the show, and it's really interesting to learn about Habs. It devolved a little bit, but that I blame my underlings for. It happens. Um, no, it's my fault. Let's get, when it devolves, not, uh, nobody, everybody knows when it devolves exactly where that blame lies. But that's fine. That's the uh, the deal of the show. And so it's really interesting. You have all this fantastic stuff to share with you, but that's actually not why we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. And the first one is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you choose? Great sandwich. Great sandwich. That's a mistake. sandwich. Hashtag. No, sandwich. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the question. Yeah. Next year, IAGLER, the International Association of Great Lakes Research Annual Conference, is in your hometown. Sure is. Windsor, Ka. <laughs> right? There's a province in there. It's Windsor, Ontario, Canada. It's not just like Windsor, Canada. Windsor, Ontario. <laughs> all right. We're going to be in Windsor. Windsor, Ontario. It's like Stratford on. Right. Okay. Um, so we're going to be in Windsor on yeah. next year. Yeah. And I'm going to go out for lunch. Yeah. And I'm going to want to get a really good sandwich. Yeah. No messing around. Yeah. Where am I going to go? You're going to go to the Carvery. The Carvery? Yeah. The Carvery. Yeah, on, uh, on Why Not. On Why Not? Why Not. Because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> My 11-year-old so, is really into Abbott and Costello. It's the best thing I've done as a parent. Anyway. So, so Windsor is actually, I will give you a plug, like Windsor is a great multicultural city, which you would never, like, you'd never guess. And we have amazing food in amazing Windsor. Amazing food. Amazing food. And so I'm going to the Carvery for lunch. Yeah. If you want a sandwich, you're going no, to the no, Carvery. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's lunch. What yeah. Lunch? Yeah. I'm not in sure if you loo, can walk there from the menu. but to that. Okay. So fantastic. And what kind of sandwich should I get at Carvery? Oh, ooh, I don't know. They change their menu sometimes. Okay. It's delicious. All of it's delicious. It's a Gobi sandwich. They don't have the Gobi yet, and if they do, they owe me a royalty. <laughs> no. Did you not hear what I just said? I also was playing along, Giada. <laughs> We're doing a little thing. It was a bit. We had a bit. Ah. Yeah, I don't know. Third base. All right. Fantastic. So one of the other things we're trying to do with this show is, is one of the, the precepts behind what we do is that the Great Lakes are kind of an environmental and a cultural resource that are worth celebrating. And while people do it, uh, we also do it. And so uh, one thing we'd like to ask our guests, is there a special place in the Great Lakes that you would like to share with our audience? And if so, what makes it special in your mind? Yeah, this, this is a tough one because it, the Great Lakes are all special to me. I've, I don't know a lot about Lake, about Lake Superior. Superior. I can't even, can't even say That's it. because it's not superior. It's not superior. No, here, I know. Uh, yeah, this is what we know about superior. How about you just chill whoa, out, man? Whoa, right? yeah. whoa, did you no, hear no, no, that? No, it's true. I'm Lake getting superior. booed. No, cut it down a notch, Lake Superior. Oh, I'm so fancy. Not even the cleanest lake anymore, thanks to Michigan. Yeah, that's fine if you want a second cleanest lake, Superior. No, that's real good. That's fine. I mean, it's very clean. Very clean. Whoa. Almost as clean as Lake Michigan. Yeah. You guys, that's crazy. Okay, so so no, seriously, t- tough, because I grew up in... In Essex County, which is completely surrounded by the Great Lakes, right? We have Lake St. Clair on one side. we got the Detroit River. we nope. got Lake now, Erie. Now, hold on. So far, you're ha- 0 for 2 on naming Great Lakes. Uh, there's a good lake and a river, and then you got... <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Lake St. Clair is amazing. <laughs> oh, an amazing lake. Is that above <laughs> or below? Okay. Okay. It's above. It's okay. beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Oh. Anyway, my, my special place is uh, Bayfield, Ontario, on Lake Huron. Uh, they have the most beautiful sunsets. Um, ever and uh, my parents had a place there for a long time and just was like my it was just a really beautiful peaceful place to to be and and go and and just hang out so that's that's my special place it's interesting to hear you say that because i think all the time during the pandemic we did like a lot of episodes right in a row right so march uh 2020 came and um uh you know we spoke with people about COVID and so we're like we don't know what to do 
And so Hope and I, we got, uh, you know, a lot of people want to talk to us about COVID. We talked about this idea of, you know, is it safe at that time to go outdoors? We didn't even know for sure. Turns out it was, and we got some good advice that it was, although with the caveat that if you hurt yourself and go to the emergency room, you might be taking key resources. But one conversation we had with, with um, Dr. Mean Kuo of the Landscape and Human Health Laboratory at the University of Illinois, good friends of uh, uh, Teach Me About the Great Lakes uh, producer, Rini Miles. And she talked about the importance of getting out to nature to sort of experience awe and peacefulness. And so when I hear you talk about that and the most beautiful sunset that you can see, that's what that makes me think of, and the importance of having that really happy place, right? And so that's really great to, to hear you say that. Is that a, that's not a place people can visit if it's your parents' house, though. No, oh, Bayfield, Ontario is it's a it's a town. Okay. And they've got accessible beaches and yeah, you can go hang out and it's basically that whole uh, side of Lake Huron is beautiful sunsets. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm going. That, is that near? So that's near like, Windsor. No. It's about two and a half hours from Windsor, but there's like there's Bayfield, Goderich, Grand Bend, okay. uh, all those places. You can get a sandwich to go. And you can get a sandwich to go. Go do it. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Katie Samler, doc, doctor, excuse me, Dr. Katie Samler, water quality scientist and source water protection project manager at the Essex Region Conservation Authority, which I call IRCA. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thank you for having me. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at ILIN Sea Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Rini Miles. Ethan Chittier is our associate producer and fixer. And our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Corinne Rose, who is graduated with his own real mister so very much. And we thank her for everything. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at teachgreatlakes. But like Canada, north of the 45th parallel, it's pretty sparsely populated these days. Thanks for listening and keep great in those lakes. Before you stop recording, Hope and I have a thing, I guess, that we will now do for the audience, because we have a big audience. We really wanted to do it at the beginning. Oh, I apologize. I was uninformed. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> you can start it. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes is a twice monthly podcast that is. Oh, dang it. Oh, shit. Oh, I had it earlier. I had it summarized. It's a twice monthly podcast where I, through a Great Lakes, <laughs> ask people that are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. I know a lot about Megan Gunn, round gobies, <laughs> and how they can die on you, but I don't know a lot about the, the Great, Great Lakes. Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs>